the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Thank you for joining us today for On the Road with Jesus, hosted by Rhody Fisher. As a Christian mom for over 40 years and a teacher of the Bible in public schools for 25 years, Rhody will take you on a journey with some of her friends as they share their experiences and testimonies from their walk with Christ. You'll see that you are not alone in your search for God, your victories with Him, or your failures. Welcome to On the Road with Jesus. Now, here's your host, Rhody Fisher. Welcome to On the Road with Jesus. My name is Rhody Fisher, and I'm your host today. And thank you for joining us. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for meeting us here today. I pray that you would give us words to speak and that you would cleanse our hearts, Lord, and be about our thoughts as to what to say and what to do today. Thank you for my guest being here, Edward, Dr. Edward Delcor, and thank you for Mike, who's running the camera. Father, be with us today. We give it all to you in Jesus' name. Thank you, guests, for joining us. I'm going to be reading the chapter in Psalm 28, and this is, again, a psalm that David wrote. And it says, a psalm of David, to you, I will cry, O Lord, my rock, do not be silent to me, lest if you are silent to me, I become like those who go down to the pit. Hear the voice of my supplications. When I cry to you, when I lift up my hands toward your holy sanctuary, do not take me away with the wicked and with the workers of iniquity who speak peace to their neighbors, but evil is in their hearts. Give them according to their deeds and according to the wickedness of their endeavors. Give them according to the work of their hands. Render to them what they deserve because they do not, because they do not regard the works of the Lord nor the operation of his hands. He shall destroy them and build them up and not build them up. Bless be the name of the Lord because he has heard the voice of my supplications. The Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusted in him, and I am helped. Therefore, my heart greatly rejoices, and with my song, I will praise him. The Lord is their strength. He is is the salvation and refuge of his anointed. Save your people and bless your inheritance. Shepherd them also and bear them up forever. Okay, that's a great psalm. Thank you, Lord, for your word and give us understanding of your word. I am so excited about introducing our guest to you. Um, His name is Dr. Edward Delcor, and welcome. Welcome. Delighted to be here. Thank you so much. I didn't know I was going to be interviewed, but I'm really glad. Oh, well, George told me that you were going to be here, and I said that I really wanted, I listed the people that I wanted to talk to you, but maybe he didn't tell you in enough time. (laughs) I had you on my list. Um, so, so to get the viewers to know you better, I'd love for you to tell us a little bit about your background, where you were born, were you the an only child or 
you know, sisters and brothers. Um, were you a family that went to church together or, you know, there was no church involved? And just give us a little bit of background about that. Okay. Um, uh, now today I'm, I'm a, a professor at a couple seminaries now. Um, Grace Bible University and then uh, Harvest Bible University. And I have a full-time ministry and we teach apologetics. We distribute lots of literature, Department of Christian Defense. It's an educational hub, but I had no idea when I was in my teens in high school that I'd ever be, let alone teaching, be in full-time ministry. I never thought much about it, but as you said, or as you wanted to know, I was brought up in a Christian household. Oh. Um, I am the only boy. I have five sisters. Wow. Most of them are older. A lot of hormones there. Yeah. Um, mother's favorite. I think it was this uh, child psychologist, Dr. James Dobson. He says, mothers raise their daughters, but they love their sons. So yes, <laughs> that was shown. And my parents were, were Christians. My mom was a devout Christian. So I was always hearing, I, I, it, you know, some people, when they give a testimony, they have this, just this radical transformation or this radical salvation experience, you know, and, um, Mine wasn't a radical salvation. Keep in mind, though, anyone who gets saved, it's a radical salvation, meaning they were dead in their sins. They were really dead. They weren't terminally ill. They were dead. And when God saves, when he makes alive, that's a radical change from the root. Um, but people get saved at different parts in different um, different lifestyles. Some can be on the top of the game. Some could be just high, like the Apostle Paul. Mm-hmm. He wasn't uh, down at the bottom. He wasn't this depressed guy who was searching. For, I mean, he knew exactly what he wanted to do. And God saved him at that time. Others are just broken. I mean, they have nowhere else to turn. Their life is in shambles. It's complete cacophony, their whole entire existence. And God saves, you know, people at that time as well. So there's no set pattern. With me, I was raised up in a Christian home, and uh, my friend, my friend is not. And I'll mention this ministry in a second. When I was in full time ministry, we we'd give our testimony. One of my friends, uh, Jeff, he used to say, "You know, growing up, I had a drug problem. Yeah, had a really bad drug problem." And the whole crowd, oh, no, that's that's horrible. Yeah, my parents used to. They would just drug me to church all the time. They'd drag me here, this church, and drug. <laughs> you know, it was really funny. But um. So I would go to church and I, I was, I was raised in a church. It was, I think I used to go to Reseda First Baptist Church. So nothing was new in terms of the Christian lifestyle and the Christian message. But to say I was saved, no, that, that would not, that would be untrue. Uh, just because you are brought up in a Christian home does not mean you're saved. Just because you're in a car doesn't mean you're in, you know, or in a garage doesn't mean you're a, uh, a car. Um, but, I, I understood the Christian message. I can't point to a particular time when I looked at myself as converted as a Christian. Some people can. Like I said, some people just have this, you know, radical kind of um, experience. They were just um, into some really bad things. And all of a sudden, you know, they remember the day and the hour when, when God saved them. But I do remember... Um, contemplating all the time. And I actually, I thought I was a Christian because I went to church, I prayed, I heard the message and I understood the message. But the fact of the matter is in the Bible, particularly in John 11, 25 and 26, 
It's not just the ones that believe, but as Jesus says in John eleven twenty six, everyone living and believing in me shall never perish, you know, has life. Everyone living and believing, living and believing are, are grammatically c- uh, connected there. So it's not just believing. Demons believe that God is one and they, they you know, they shudder. But the fact of the matter is, um, I did not see myself, when I look at it, at it now, I didn't see myself as a, as a regenerated Christian. I was going through the motions, actually, like many people do. They go through the motions. And it's, it really is a false sense of security because they really think they're regenerate. And when I was growing up, um, I had a lot of bad friends. I had a lot of bad influences. And like a lot of people, I, I went through, you know, just party life. But, but I didn't really have a drug life. Some people are just, you know, they had a, this enormous drug life. I never, I never went through all that. I didn't like alcohol that much, but, um, I just had a lot of bad friends. And then the gym didn't help because I, I took a bodybuilding and I started working out. And, you know, when you, when you are in the gym and you start to bodybuild and you start to do competition, I used to do competitive competition. It becomes very, uh, anthropocentric, meaning it's man-centered. But I didn't think nothing of it. You know, again, I thought I was, I was okay with God because I knew the message. But true Christianity is not based just on a belief. After high school, I went to college and, um, I wasn't living as a, this reckless kind of guy. In fact, I, I was getting educated, but still I did not, as I look now, I was not, I did not see myself as a converted regenerate Christian because I wasn't living, living for him. Jesus Christ was not the premier attraction in my life. Other things were. Then after college, um, I went through various interesting jobs. I used to work for Calvin Klein. I used to work for Redkin as a Redkin uh, model. Actually, I, I would be sent to these big hair conventions and they would have me wear a tank top and these spandex shorts and the tank top would say, follow me to Redkin. And they would just pay me a lot of money just to walk around and it just said, follow me to Redkin. Yeah, it was really cool. But, um, so I did all these odd jobs and then I started working for movie studios. I was, uh, what's known as a, um, a high speed viewer. I was in the editing room. But anyways, um, after a while I started going to this other church and I, you know, it's really important. I think Christians really have to understand this. There's a reason why Paul dissuades Christians from having association, unless you're working with them, having just casual association with non-believers. Because what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, around 33, I believe, bad company corrupts good character. Now, it's interesting. He's quoting a pagan there. He's quoting uh, Menander, a, a, a poet, actually, or a comedian. And he's quoting a pagan to, to teach a biblical truth. When you hang around unrighteous or non, non-converted people, let me tell you, their bad influence most likely will rub off on you, not the other way around. There's a reason why Paul stresses this. And I had a lot of, they weren't really horrible people in life, but they were unconverted. And, when I went to this, started going to this other church, I was gaining a lot of Christian friends and I started contemplating more because I started hearing the message about living for Christ. I started hearing the message about sanctification. I started hearing the message about what true Christianity was. Fortunately, um, I was going to a church that was focusing on those theological areas. Unfortunately, there's too many churches that are not and they're just so utterly watered down theologically that no one's getting anything except, you know, the, the 
good rock band, a Christian rock band out there, or how to how to have a, your best life now, or something that is so utterly non biblical. So it was in nineteen about nineteen eighty, about nineteen in the early nineties. I had opened a gym in the Hilton Hotel at Universal City. I navigated this and negotiated also this deal with the owners there for me to actually open a gym there. And I mean, everything would have been great. And I had a partner, unfortunately, he had the money. I had the knowledge. He had the money. And sometimes when you have a partner that doesn't know the business, um, it's just not a good, good situation there. So it happened eventually because there was just problem after problem because he didn't understand the the health club industry. Uh, He ended up, buying me out and I left and um, I was, you know, I was depressed. I mean, this could have been a great moneymaker. I mean, that's where my mind was at, you know, universal city. I had Hewlett and Packard down the street that were going to give me members. I had the lot manager that was going to send me people for personal training. It it was a gold mine. The fact of the matter is it just evaporated just like that, just like that. Now I, at about that time, um, I met a guy named Tom Sorotnik, and he was this big, huge evangelist. Interesting, he um, he used to live about four miles away from here, but Big Tommy, we used to call him. He was uh, he was the first walk on. He was a walk on on USC. He was a true life Rudy story, and this guy was just so motivating, you know. In in his faith, just in everything. And he used to speak a lot. He used to evangelize. He used to speak at men's conferences. That was his forte. But he said, hey, man, I know a guy named John Jacobs. And you've heard of the power team, right? And I said, yeah, hasn't everyone? I mean, they were on, you know, they were on TBN many times and uh, throughout the week. And everyone heard, heard of the power team. They're going to the biggest churches in the world. They were just a really cool thing. And I said, yeah, I heard of Of course, I heard about it. He says, you know, with the way you look and your athletic ability, I want to introduce you to John. And I think you'd be a great team member for the power team. And I said, hmm, okay. So he introduced me. And literally the next week, I flew to Crescent City, California for an interview. And when I got to this power team crusade, you know, I'm just looking at these mammoth feats of strength and bricks and things on fire and guys jumping off of scallop or a scaffolding and breaking things with their head. You know, I'm watching this whole show and uh, I don't know about this, but it was kind of cool. And then I talked to John for a while and um, I decided to do it. He offered me a job and um, we talked logistics. And the next thing I know, I was on, was on an airplane to um, Gainesville, Georgia. And we did a big church there. Um, Then went to Ronnie Floyd's church, another giant Baptist church. And, And then the week later I was on my way to Australia. We did eight weeks in um, eight, eight different cities in New Zealand and Australia. For about 10 years, I was full-time on the power team. We went to the biggest churches and we would just evangelize. And I learned so much. I learned so much about speaking, so much about evangelism, so much about ministry. Um, I got to see the background of ministry, especially being on TVN all the time. You know, I got to see the, you know, what happens, you know, in, in the, in the background and, and behind the stage, per se, of, of these these uh, these giant ministries, but it was interesting. It, it taught me a lot, and I, I got to literally, I got to speak to to millions of of people uh, and preach the gospel. And it was um, so it was a very positive thing for me. It just gave me a lot of experience. So about eight years or seven years into it, um, 
I, I had started studying because interesting. Someone asked me a question about, it was a question on Genesis. I really didn't have the answer. This is, I just got on the power team and this was from my church. Someone asked me a question. They were telling me what they've been studying. It was so fascinating to me. It was something about Genesis 1-1. I forgot the exact issue, but it prompted me to study that, you know, so I started looking at that. I was just very intrigued. And um, that increased to other areas of doctrine. And then early on, I remember Jehovah's Witness came to my my house. And, you know, I was a little cocky because I went to the Baptist church. And I thought I knew everything about the deity of Christ. But I didn't. And they they presented things about Christ, that he's firstborn, that he was uh, the first of God's creation and all these things. And they're showing me passages. I wasn't prepared to answer. I didn't have it bought and it bothered me. I wasn't prepared to give an answer. I wasn't ready to give a defense. I just wasn't. I thought I was, but after encountering some of their complex questions, I, I just, I felt so demoted. You know, I felt so inadequate. I said at that point, this was in, I've only was, I think I was on the power team less than a year, but I said, never again is this going to happen. So I really started studying the Watchtower. That, that was like the, the chief group I was studying. And it opened my, it, interesting because once you study something, it, it always opens um, doors to different areas of study. You know, you're learning about a particular passage, for instance, that they use, like John 1 1, how they distort. But to really know it, you, you want to know the word significance and the, the meaning of words, which at that time I didn't know, but I started studying, which led me into study of languages, which led me into study of other branches of uh, non-Christian cults like Mormonism, uh, Oneness Pentecostalism, and other groups, because I, I wanted to know, and it was just very interesting. And I believe the Lord was grooming and crafting me for, for um, counter-cult ministry at that time. And it was very fast. And then I was on just a, it, it was all really, it was on, it, it springboarded into so many different areas of study and different areas of theology and, and languages and all these other things. So by the time uh, late nineties came around, I really felt led not to do power team and break bricks and break bricks with my head and break things on fire and all these things. I liked evangelism. I liked traveling ministry. But I was doing more teaching, and that's where I was passionate. That, that's where my passion was. So I started doing more teaching. I started doing more uh, academic work, and I was traveling less and less. I went part-time, then I went really part-time. And then around 1999 or 2000, I, I left, and the power team was going through some changes. And I was go, I would go out only as in the capacity of road manager, maybe once every two months. Cause all, you know, it was fun to go on the road. Um, all my friends were there, but, um, I started venturing off to doing full-time teaching, full-time apologetics and educational ministry, which I think is, look, Christian apologetics is one of the most neglected areas in Christian evangelism. I mean, you're, you are literally at the bottom of the totem pole because nobody likes you. That's why nobody likes you because <laughs> you're just, you're, you're speaking out against other groups. It's, you know, you're, you're perceived as not a loving person. But the fact of the matter is, if you don't like a, apologetics, then you can't be a fan of Paul. You can't be a fan of Christ. You can't be a fan of the Ephesus pastors that, who are commended in Revelation 2 for their apologetics. It's an integral part of evangelism, of Christian faith. 
It's our obligation as Christians. First um, Peter chapter three fifteen. It's a commandment for you to have a defense. It's a, it's not it's not an option. He's not urging. Rather, Peter says, always be ready to give give an answer or defense. Always and the faith a reason for that faith. This is these are commandments. Same with Jude one three. So. After that, I started getting other opportunities to travel and speak and do seminars and lectures. And I started speaking at schools on this topic. Uh, I used to speak at public schools on things like peer pressure and on the power team and, and uh, drugs and gang violence. We used to do 1,500 schools, public schools, uh, every year. We couldn't mention Christ. I learned something, too. You know, the passage that we just quoted, at the name of Jesus, demons tremble, right? Demons tremble. Well, I found out. Soda principles, but we, we were very good in that, meaning we did break the rules of the school. But the good thing about that, the very productive thing about speaking in schools, we would invite them out to the night show, which was a Christian event, wherever we were, and we can present the gospel. And we, we used to see, I mean, in actuality, because at these tank, uh, at these crusades, we'd get the numbers of everyone that would come up at the, they were doing the altar call. I call it the Charles Finney altar call, but we'd get the names of everyone so we can tally up the numbers. Every year we would see, get this, every year on an average, over 300,000 people come forward, at least sign cards. And you know, that, that's a lot of people. Wow. Okay. I, I didn't really know that much about the power team. I, I'd seen them on TVN, like you say. Um, but I didn't know that they were traveling all over the place. And, and sharing the gospel in that way. Yeah. But I, I understand that you are the expert on oneness Pentecostalism. I had no idea about this. I, I learned about this with Greg, who was, um, I've known for about 15 years. But let's talk about that. <clears throat> um, because the Pentecostal church as a whole is a good church, isn't it? Yeah, um, if they're Trinitarian Pentecostals. Yeah. Trinitarian Pentecostals, yeah. okay. But what is the difference between the Trinitarian um, Pentecostals and now the Oneness Pentecostals? Is it a Jesus only? Yes. Yeah, the, the fundamental difference is how they view God. Um, when I started uh, teaching apologetics and getting into the whole area, I, I discovered one thing at Christian bookstores. What I would find, tons of books on Mormonism, Jehovah's Witnesses, Roman Catholicism, and all these other groups, virt- virtually nothing on one is Pentecostal. Virtually nothing on one is Pentecostals. And that just bothered me because it's a growing movement. And unfortunately, in Christian TV, there's a whole lot of popular people who are one who are oneness, who hold to a oneness view. You know, um, some Sometimes people get mad, mad when I say this, but the fact of the matter is T.D. Jakes holds to a oneness view. He holds to a oneness view of God, and he still holds to a oneness view. And I'll explain what oneness is, and that's that's demonstrated on his website, on the doctrinal statement, and his new school that he opened. He defines God as three manifestations. Let me explain something on oneness theology, simply. My main emphasis is always, especially in evangelism or teaching or anything I do in ministry, is to present as clear as possible the doctrine of the Trinity. Why do I want to present the doctrine of the Trinity? I mean, isn't it a complex doctrine and it's a mystery and all these things? Well, no, it's not. It's a complex doctrine for those who've never heard of, you know, unfortunately, Trinitarian doctrine is not being presented enough. You know, it really isn't. I mean, I, and I'll ask everyone watching this, I ask this question at churches all the time around the world. 
who in the last, raise your hand, I'll say who, if anyone, in the last 10 years have ever heard at a church the pastor preach a message on the Trinity one time in the last 10 years? I don't get any answer. I don't get any hands. What about the deity of Christ? Maybe I might get one hand. What about justification through faith alone? But if I say, how about end times or something else, they all raise their hand. Problem is Trinitarian doctrine is not being presented. Let me tell you, the Trinity is God's highest revelation because it's how he revealed himself to mankind. It's how he revealed himself in the scripture. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. There is no salvation outside of a triune God because it was God the Father who sent the pre-existent person of the Son. Uh And the pre-existent person of the Son, God the Son, he's the one who became flesh, not the Father. Uh The Son is the one who emptied himself, having been made in human likeness, being found in the appearance of a man. He's the one that became obedient to death. And it's God the Holy Spirit who was sent, who regenerates the sinner. It's a gospel. It's a gospel of the Trinity. One is Pentecostals reject the Trinity, and they here's their, their fundamental belief. In the, in the Old Testament, we know that there's one God, because there's many passages that say one God, Deuteronomy 6.4 and others. But in their mind, one God is tantamount to one person. So they believe God is not one being revealed in three persons, but he's one person. So every single time they see one God or a teaching of one God, in their mind, they read into that a Unitarian assumption. That means one person. But nowhere in the Old or New Testament is God defined as one person, but one being revealed in three persons. We must distinguish between being and person. Being is what something is. Person is who something is. There's one being who revealed himself as the Father, as the distinct person of the Son, as the distinct person of the Holy Spirit. Why do we call them persons? Why do we call the Holy Spirit a person or the Father a person? We don't mean people. That's not what we mean. We don't mean people when we say person. That's the wrong category. In other words, if you're people, you're necessarily person, of course. But if you're person, you're not necessarily a people like Satan, right? He's a per- Why is he a person? Because he has personal attributes. He talks. He lies. He's deceptive. He does things that are really evil, right? And he possesses personal attributes. The Holy Spirit, we categorize him. The church has been categorizing him as a person because he talks. He gives command commands in Acts 10 and Acts 13. He issues commands send the, uh, for the work that I called them to do. He calls himself I. You can grieve him, right? He's uh, a comforter. He, he's the paraclete. Yeah, he's a comforter uh, or the advocate. He intercedes. He has a will. First Corinthians chapter two. He searches the minds. He investigates that that denotes intelligence. All the evidence points to person and personal attributes constitutes personhood. Same with the father. So we call them persons because they have personal attributes. One is Pentecostals deny that and they will think they teach that God is one person. His name is Jesus, but you don't know that until the New New Testament. His name is Jesus. So Jesus is a one-person deity, but he has two different modes, a human mode and a divine mode. In other words, before Bethlehem, it was just the Father. There was nobody else. Jesus was the Father before Bethlehem. That's how they can say Jesus is eternal, because as the Father mode, he's God. And what happened in Bethlehem, the Father indwelled the body of Jesus. Now, sometimes oneness Pentecostals will say, 
the Father took, or Jesus took a new nature or new mode. And that new mode is called Son, which represents his humanity. In other words, the Son is not God. Only the Father is God. Jesus as the Father is God. Jesus as the Son is human. So wait, wait a second. What about when Jesus prays to the Father? Well, yeah, but that's Jesus's human nature praying to his own divine nature. Okay. Well, what about in John 10, 17, where Jesus says, the Father loves me. Who's loving him? Well, yeah, that's the, his, his own divine nature or mode loving his own human nature. He's, he's this bizarre kind of, uh, multi-personal person who has the father within him, who the, the flesh is the father's mm-hmm. or the father's dwelling in the flesh and the flesh is called son. So they reject the Trinity. They believe God is one person and wow. it's heretical as it can be because it denies that the son of God is eternal as a person, mm-hmm. you know? So we as Christians need to really understand the Trinity because it's, you know, when people call it a mystery, sometimes pastors and Christians call it a mystery. What they're doing, they, they're appealing to 1 Timothy 3.15 or 3.16, where it says the mystery of godliness. And then it, it says he became flesh and so on and so forth. That has to do with the incarnation, not the Trinity. So they misapply that. That, that has nothing to do with the Trinity. And there's many objections to the Trinity um, that we don't have time to go. Like the word's not in the Bible and all these things. But they believe God exists in three manifestations. That's their key word, manifestations. If your church has manifestations, run far. And if you're not running and you're embracing it, we're going to pray that you get saved because that's a different God. That's a, the Jews have a unipersonal God. The Muslims have a unipersonal God. Jehovah's Witnesses have a unipersonal God. Oneness theology is the same fundamental construct of God as that of Islam, a one-person deity rejecting the deity of the son, of the person of the son. So it's very heretical, as heretical as any Jehovah's Witness or Muslim. And we as Christians have to stay strong and we have to do the homework. We have to understand the simplicity of the Trinity so we can communicate it in our evangelism and just for our own our own faith, you know, to know God. He wants us to know who he is. Now, are there other, for lack of a better term, I'll say Christian religions that have gone towards that oneness theology um if they're christian now now they're those of course all oneness pentecostals claim that they're christian but so do mormons mm-hmm. you know it just it's one thing to claim it but it's another thing to have doctrine that's consistent with christian theology okay so the mormons and the jehovah witnesses deny the deity of of, of jesus mormons don't but keep in mind how mormons see god yeah yeah, it, it's a Jesus. It's a Jesus. He, he's a God. Yeah, he, he's he was man that became God. Like I can become God if I was Mormon. Right. Okay. But the Jehovah Witnesses deny that he is God. Yes. I guess what I'm asking is: Is there like an offshoot of maybe the Baptists or an offshoot of any other quote unquote Christian? Like you know, I know the Pentecostals. And I have a lot of great friends that are Pentecostals, and I didn't know about the oneness Pentecostal. But if is there any other that are calling, you know, that don't see God as a triune God? No, because if, like I said, if they're um, traditional denominations like Baptists or um, even, at, let's look at Pentecostal churches, Christian Pentecostal churches, Assembly God, Foursquare, um, Church of God in Christ, I and mean, there's many, but they all have mo- that, that have a doctrinal statement will affirm the Trinity. Some 
you know, do it sloppily, you know, but none of them say that I know of manifestations mm. and they all affirm the Trinity, especially, actually, um, especially I should say the, the assembly of God, because early on, I think, um, in the early 20th century, 1916, don't recall the date. Well, that's when they had their third conference. They, they expelled 156 pastors because they were oneness. They kicked them out and they took a strong stand, I believe in 1916 at one of their general conferences oh. for the Trinity. So they kicked them wow. out. So all Christian denominations, Christian denominations believe in the resurrection of Christ and the doctrine of the Trinity, you know, okay. these essential fundamental truths. And then the other stuff, secondary doctrines, they, you know, they're, you know, it's a, they're vast, vastly different, you know, different denominations. Okay. Um, the, the, th- the reason I brought this up is I think Pastor Chuck Smith came out of, was it out of the Foursquare Church or Pentecostals? You know, I'm not sure with Chuck Smith. Okay. I'll have to look that up. But obviously his theology was correct because in, in starting, um, the Calvary Chapel movement. Yeah, their doctrinal statement is Trinitarian. Is, is, yeah, is Trinitarian. There, there's some other differences, but they're, they, they do hold to the Trinity. They just hold, you know, that there's other different views that they hold to, but they do, yeah, they do hold their Trinity. So what do you say to a person that's in this? I, do you call it a cult? I call it a non-Christian. Um, you, you want to get to using Paul's terminology, he calls groups, religious groups that do not have embrace the true God, he calls them atheists in Ephesians 2.12. He calls them atheists. Wow. He said they're, they're without hope, they're without Christ, they're they're without God, and the term without God, atheoi in the Greek, which is the plural for atheist. But they're, they're non-Christian religious groups. They're non-Christian religious groups because they deny something essential. Some groups affirm essential doctrines, one or two, but if you, you can't deny the physical resurrection. You can't deny the deity of Christ. It doesn't matter if you believe, you know, heaven and, and the Moses covenant and whatever, or Abrahamic covenant. It doesn't matter if you deny the person, nature, and finished work of Christ. You're simply lost. That has always been the message of the church. You can't separate his work from his, from his nature either. Mm-hmm. I would assert groups like Roman Catholicism, um, the official doctrines of Rome, they're not consistent with Christian doctrine because they deny the sufficiency of the cross work of Christ as the very ground of justification. They hold a position that you must contribute works and other meritorious actions, um, meritorious works to in order to be justified, saved, and so on and so forth. And you can only always lose it. Okay, so when you talk to these people that are involved in the oneness um, Pentecostal church, what do you say to them? If I'm meeting one and uh, I discover that they're oneness, I, I will, you know, I, I always pray for ism first because there's mm-hmm. so many verses, so many places you can go. Sometimes I'll go and ask, sometimes I'll ask if they've considered um, uh, John 17, 5, Jesus's high priestly prayer. Uh, because many times oneness Pentecostals do not interact more than a cursory level on different passages. And you want to give oneness Pentecostals, you want to give them the gospel. I mean, that's the power of God for salvation. But in specific, in detail, I'll go to John seventeen five. One of the ones that I go to, there's many, or the baptismal um, Trinitarian formula, right? It is a baptismal formula in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. They're differentiated by the by the article the and the and the three distinct persons. But John seventeen five, you have Jesus praying to the Father and simply, and you know, I won't go into grammar issues, you know, with someone I just meet, because I don't have to. Our translations 
do a fairly good job. John 17, 5, Jesus says, Father, glorify me now with the glory I had with you before the foundation or before the world was, before the world was. So he says he had something and he had it with someone, with the Father before time. Mm-hmm. What do you do with that? Yeah. Now, of course, you go to Greek and it's just, it's mind blowing how clear it is. Jesus mm-hmm. is sharing a, a, he's sharing a shared glory. He said, I had a shared glory, parasa auto, you know, with thyself, with the glory that, that I had, that he's always had, you know, it's an imperfect tense there before the world was. And he says, I had it with you, with you, mm-hmm. not as you, with you. And the thing is with one of Pentecostals and note this scholarship is on my side, not on their side. And I've always asked one as Pentecostals, even the ones that, that do study, it must be frustrating to look at academic works and right in your face they're they're all trinitarian authors they're all trinitarian scholars because there is no bible commentary by a oneness pentecostal you know it'd be rejected mm-hmm. the early church rejected oneness mm-hmm. oneness doctrine so you know okay so who they think came when jesus said i'm going to ascend in i'm going to ascend into heaven i i, I need to go so that the comforter will come and I will be at the right hand of the Father. Who do they think came? They they think, keep in mind, before Bethlehem, that's an excellent question. The question is, how is it that the Son says he came from somewhere? Mm-hmm. How is it that the Son is presented as the creator of all things, like mm-hmm. in Colossians 1, 16 and 17? Well, easy, their answer. Jesus, as the Father, had the Son in his mind. Like, someday I'm going to send my thought to embody this thought. And that flesh was called Son. So he didn't exist before Bethlehem. So they'll say it was in the Father's mind. The Son was in the Father. That's who came. The the plan of God came. In the beginning was the Word, the plan of the Father, and the Word was with God. His plan was with the Father, and the plan was God. I mean, that's how they would distort John 1. And then, you know, he says, I'll be at the right hand of the Father. So who is that? Um, sometimes they will look at right hand. In, of course, it's metaphorical there. They will look at the right hand as a, a not literally, but a fig, a figurative uh, type of speech where the plan of God is always with the Father. Now, they, they're mixed on that because some of one is Pentecostals, like David Bernard, who is one of the top speakers, top authors, uh, prolific voice in one is Pentecostalism. He says that the son's role is gone. There is no more more. It's just Jesus as the father. Because the son just came for redemption. That's it. Now the son, the son's role is gone. There's no human up there. That's why they ask you, okay, Trinity, Mr. Trinitarian, who are you going to see when you get to heaven? Who are you going to see? You know, they, as if we re- relate things, how we, how we operate on earth, the same as in heaven. You know, it's, it's a non-starter question to begin with. But, um, so some, what is Pentecostals deny that the son exists in heaven? It's just Jesus as the father. Wow. Yeah. Depending which one is, because they don't have creeds, they don't have confessions. So it's, you know, uh, if you go to a reformed church, they, they have, most of them go, uh, they hold to different confessions like the Heidelberg or the Westminster, right? So they're, the pulp is protected. They, they don't go beyond the definitions of God mm-hmm. as scripture, you know, as a, of course, as a, it's defined in scripture. But, um, they don't have confessions. They don't have creeds. All they know, I mean, where they, where they unite is that God is one person and Jesus is the Father. That's, they all unite around that. 
you know. Wow. Yeah, it, it's horrible. And Christians are tolerating it because they themselves aren't familiar with doctrine. Because there's too many biblically illiterate Christians that don't know how to explain doctrine. They don't know how to evangelize because they don't know what to say. They say the wrong things. They'll, they'll quote Jeremiah 29, 11 or, or Jeremiah or uh, Revelation 3, 20, you know, where Jesus stands at the door and not. That was given to believers, you know, so, but yet they use it to non-believers. Jeremiah 29, 11, if you knew the context and the audience to whom, you know, this was given, you wouldn't want to be part of that crowd. But they don't know what else to say. So they'll talk about God, you know, if you, uh, there's a, there's a, God has a great plan for you. He loves you. And there's a great plan for your life that he has. Okay, none of that's the gospel, though. The gospel is the work of the son, as Paul defined it. The gospel is the work of the son, his work and in his incarnation. He was, he was really, he really died, Paul says. He died and was buried and was resurrected according to the third day. That's Paul's gospel. In Romans chapter one, verse one and three, Paul calls it, the gospel of God regarding the Son. Uh-huh. So the gospel is the work of the Son, and we preach Christ crucified. You know the book of Acts, mm-hmm. chapter 1 through 28, the entire context was the resurrection of Christ. And that's the overall context. And here's what's interesting. When you look at every single sermon and message of the apostles in the book of Acts, what you find is a great, is a just a robust presentation of the gospel, the work of the Son. But you don't find the word, the word, any word, for love, you just don't find it in Acts. Not because they didn't love people, but they were preaching the gospel. There's the love of God, and then there's the gospel. Now, for us, the love of God is incomprehensible. We can't even understand how much he loves us. Mm-hmm. And in the epistles, letters to the church, we have a full-blown presentation of the love of God. But if you tell a non-believer, man, God has a great plan for you. He loves you so much. He has a great plan for you. The problem is you're advocating, you're, you're, you're not keeping true to your obligation to preach the gospel, the work of the Son. The gospel is the power of God for salvation. Because what if that non-believer dies and he's in hell and he remembers that you said God had a great plan for him and that, that uh, he loved, you know, he's going to say, well, what's this great plan? You know, um, but we just want to be diligent in our definition of the gospel, but we want to be diligent in our understanding of the Trinity and how God revealed himself to us. It's very important because it honors God. It really does. Your feet are beautiful, Paul says. Mm-hmm. Your feet are beautiful if you are gospelizing, right? That's mm-hmm. the participle used in John yeah. in uh, Romans chapter 15. Are the feet. Yeah, how beautiful the feet are who of those literally it says it's a present participle there. Literally it says how beautiful the feet mm-hmm. are of those gospelizing. And that came from Isaiah. Mm-hmm. That's where we first hear the word gospel. You know, wow. now it's only beautiful if you give an, a non-distorted, you know, complete gospel. It's not so beautiful if you're giving a mushy, you know, bad presentation because the gospel is a simple, simple doctrine. Paul defines it for us. Well, um, it, it, it's clearer to me what you're saying, because when I first heard it, I didn't really want to believe it, um, that they were ignoring the Father and the Holy Spirit. I mean, I'm thinking today, I'd be lost without the Holy Spirit. Who, who do they think lives in them then? It, it's Jesus. They say Jesus as the Holy Spirit lives with you. Mm-hmm. Jesus as the Father, that's his deity. But the flesh is called Son. You know, obviously, the flesh doesn't live with you. But Jesus as the Father. So, And, that, and that's a problem in and of itself because you don't have a relationship with the Son because the Son is just flesh. You can't be everywhere at the same time. Hmm. So you just have this this Unitarian deity named Jesus who is the Father, who is the Holy Spirit. There's no distinction. The Father doesn't love, really love Jesus because only persons love. 
You know, um, there's a the Unitarian Church. Is that a cult? They're non-Christian. Yeah, they don't. They they believe similar to what one is Pentecostals, but they would deny Jesus's. They believe differently. They don't hold to a view that Jesus is the Father. They just say there's the Father. He's God. And Jesus is not. Jesus just, you know, he may have been an angel. Uh, he may have pre-existed as the Messiah, or pre-existed as um, as an agent, or his life started in Bethlehem. But he's not God. Mm. God is one person, and he's the Father. Okay. Okay. So when 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 Greg told me that he was evangelizing with you know oneness Pentecostals, I have to say, wait a minute. I haven't heard that term before. I mean, I guess I was in the dark about this. Did you know about that? Mm-hmm. Okay, so I guess I was in the dark. Yeah, and again, I want to stress the, the fact of the matter, not all Pentecostals are oneness, right? Mm-hmm. So they're, they're Pentecostal Christians, like some of the groups, you know, they're, um, that, that, that hold to the Trinity. Mm-hmm. Then there's oneness Pentecostals. And most oneness are Pentecostal in the sense of charismatic. I don't know any, any oneness that are not charismatic. And many oneness, not all of them, believe in baptismal justification or baptismal regeneration, that you must be baptized in order to be saved. Not all of them believe that. But the, really? yeah, the biggest oneness denomination, the United uh, Pentecostal Church International, the UPC, UCPCI, they hold to baptism is a necessity for salvation. So how do they deal with the thief on the cross? Um, there's different, uh, some will say that was a different dispensation, but I, I mean, I think that's a great, you know, I mean, there's, there's great, look, if baptism was a necessity, why is Paul saying in first Corinthians, Hey, I didn't, I didn't come baptize. here to, yeah, I didn't come here to baptize, but to preach yeah. the gospel. And there's many, you know, you, you look in scripture, everyone that was baptized, they were, they believed, mm-hmm. then they baptized, you know, you don't have a non-believer being baptized. You just, right. you just don't. Um, but not all of them would hold, not all oneness would hold to that position. I, I think, you know, I think T.D. Jakes um, does not hold to baptismal regeneration as far as I know. And he's oneness in terms of, and if anyone wants to defend T.D. Jakes and say, well, no, he changed. No, you know, I, I would just say two things. Go to the man's website, listen to the man, speak himself, speak for himself on his doctrinal statement. God exists in three manifestations. I'm talking to you. You're not just this manifestation. I can put my hand through or some, you know, this appearance. You're a person. Mm-hmm. Per, only persons love. Manifestations are abstract. They're not ontological. They have no ontological reference. A manifestation is an appearance. Persons. You're, you're married to a person, right? Mm-hmm. Or you, you're, you're, your friend is a person, not, a, not an appearance. Um, and his new school, Jake's Divinity School. I forgot. I think that's the name. Actually, I wrote an article on my website. Um, defines God the same way. God exists in three manifestations. That has never been a, 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 a doctrinal statement of a Christian church mm-hmm. because person is qualitative different. Diff, it's just quali- There's a qualitative difference between person and just a mere appearance. Yeah. Wow. I am shaken <laughs> because. You had all his tapes, right? No. <laughs> I'm sorry. You had all his tapes. No, no, no. I, 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 no, I, I, I really haven't listened to TD Jakes, and maybe that's why I didn't know. I mean, I've known him. I, the, the how I know TD Jakes is he's been on other oh, things, yeah. Yeah. Um, or he'll come on and make a commentary on some political thing or you know something else, nothing to do with his church. Right. But um, okay, I, I get it. Yeah, I, I didn't know. I did. I really didn't. 
And in all fairness, it's not something that if you go to a T.D. Potter's house, I have friends that went there and they never heard it. I never heard him say that. You, you're not going to hear him teach oneness doctrine all the time. That's why I say it's a lot of times with, with really bad and false teachers, it's not what they say sometimes. It's what they don't say. And if you want Jake's view, go to, go to the man's website, look at his belief statement. Mm-hmm. Also, he's the vice prelate, which is like a vice president of higher ground ministries, higher ground abounding, um, higher ground, higher ground abounding, forgot the other word. It's a huge oneness organization. He's a vice president or the vice prelate. And the headquarters, his headquarters at, is at the Potter's house. And he's still on this oneness organization. Why? If he's mm-hmm. changed, he hasn't changed. He still has manifestations. He's still distorting God. Well, you know, it's really, it's really sad that people are good at getting. Okay. I, I would love for you to speak to the audience right here that might be involved in this oneness Pentecostals and let them know what the true story is okay. in, in just a couple minutes. Sure. Um, in John four twenty four, Jesus said, "Those who worship God must worship Him in spirit and truth." And in Hosea six six, Yahweh says, God Himself, He says, "I desire loyalty more than sacrifice, and the knowledge of God more than all the burnt offerings." That means you can keep doing works and praising Jesus and and do whatever you do and live live a life that's good and well. But if you don't have the right God, you're not worshiping him in spirit and truth. You're worshiping something, some idol. That's what it is. It's idolatry because you're not worshiping God um, as he should be worshiped in spirit and truth. In the Bible, we find that there's one God. It never says one person. We find God exists in, as one being, but we also see in the Bible that there's the person of Christ who called himself the son, called himself the son of man over 80 times. The person of Christ who is differentiated from the person of the Father. Second John 1 3 says Jesus, the Son of the Father. We also see the Holy Spirit differentiated by Christ when he says he uses third person pronouns, he will come and convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. He will he uses third person personal pronouns. He differentiates himself. The apostle and his benedictions, the love of God, or the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, the Father, that is. And the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. And John in Revelation chapter 5 verse 13 de- de- denotes two persons that were the object of divine worship. The, the one sitting on the throne and to the Lamb, they sang, blessing and honor, dominion and glory. It does matter what you believe. If you hold to a Unitarian God in which Jesus, the Son of God, did not exist before Bethlehem as a person, distinct, sharing glory with the Father, I would just say, you have the wrong God. You have a different God. And if you die tonight without the Jesus Christ of biblical revelation, you will die without him. Jesus said, this is eternal life, that they shall have knowledge of the true God. Read the scriptures. We'll pray for you. But you're, if you're embracing oneness, it's a dangerous, eternally dangerous God that you're serving because it's a false God. It's a false Christ. Thus, you're embracing a false gospel. Come to Christ, the son of the living God who prayed and loved the father. That Christ is the only Christ, the second person of the Trinity who can save. There is no other name under heaven given to men by which they must be saved. Wow. Perfectly said. Perfectly said. Um, If you're out there and you've never given your heart to the Lord and would like to say a sinner's prayer, ask the Lord to forgive you for your sins, 
Jesus died on the cross for you. Jesus, God, died on the cross for you. And I want you to know that we do believe in a in in, the, in a triune God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They've been there from the beginning. And even in John, the first the first chapter of John, he he talks about in the beginning. Let me, let me read that. Was the word? Was the word? The word was with God, and the word was God. I I don't know what you guys do with that. I'm I'm kind of stunned. But if you want clarity, the Lord can open your eyes to the truth. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through Him. Why would you? No man comes to the Father, Father, but through Jesus. Anyway, ask the Lord to open up your um, understanding. I would ask him to even, I, I often say this to Muslims, allow, speak to the Lord as though you're talking to him and ask him to reveal himself to you. And I would ask you to do that. If you would like to invite Jesus into your heart today, ask him to forgive you for your sins, knowing that he died on the cross for you. Today would be the day of salvation. Uh, just say this little sinner's prayer with me and mean it. Just follow me. Dear Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. I ask that you would forgive me of everything I've said, done, or thought in the past, in the present, and in the future. Be my Lord and Savior. Help me to walk with you from now until eternity. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us. God bless you all. And thank you for joining us. Thank you. Delighted. You have rocked my world today, <laughs> but that's in a, good way. in a good way. Thank you for being here today for On the Road with Jesus with your host, Rody Fisher. Every week, you'll hear experiences and testimonies from her and her friends as they share their journey with Jesus. You'll see that you're not alone in your search for God, your victories with Him, or your failures. If you have a question about today's show, email Rody Fisher at rawfisher at ontheroadwithjesus.com. Spelled R-A-H-F-I-S-H-E-R at ontheroadwithjesus.com. Or leave a voicemail at 951-817-0094. That's 951-817-0094. On the Road with Jesus is sponsored by Global Expressions Language Project. Learn more at asquaredlamps.org. That's the letter A, squaredlamps.org. Be sure to join us each week at this same time for more On the Road with Jesus, hosted by Rody Fisher. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.